anticipating Jesus' ministry. Jesus is uh, going to, in Matthew chapter 4, begin his proclamation of his ministry. will be that from that time on he began preaching that the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus' ministry centered on the announcement and proclamation that the kingdom has arrived in him and uh, that he will now begin ministering, caring for people, and uh, healing people of uh, just their brokenness and, and driving out demons and proclaiming in the midst of the suffering and difficulty of life, Christ is saying a new day is here. So if you would join with me in prayer and celebration that Christ has brought his kingdom, that we have new life and hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the proclamation of your son that proclaimed the dawning of a new day, a new age, and the glorious kingdom of God. We want to trust in you today to know that you are king, that you reign over all, that your reign has come and rescued us. Lord, help us to live in that reality, the reality of your kingdom, of your goodness, of your mercy, of your grace today. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. He is King Jesus, and we give you our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, we sort of get the uh, genealogy and the life of Christ and this birth announcement. We get this connection uh, to Jesus, to the sort of Israel and Exodus story. Then in chapter 3, we kind of, uh, we get the slam dunk thing that Jesus is telling Israel's story. When Jesus enters into the baptism waters in the Jordan River, just like the Israelites as they entered into the Jordan River in the book of Joshua. Well, to continue telling the story that Jesus is sort of living and embracing and displaying Israel's life, Jesus then goes into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. If, there, uh, if you need any more of a slam dunk that Matthew's trying to tell us, hey, Jesus is entering into Israel's story, this is kind of like, you know, like the 360 reverse jam that Jesus has entered into the life and story of Israel. But there is one significant difference. And that significant difference is, is where Israel is unfaithful, Jesus shows himself to be the faithful son, to be the faithful one. And so Jesus will enter into temptation. Jesus will enter into the, uh, into the River Jordan. Jesus will enter into the Israel story, and he will prove himself faithful. And this is where their sort of paths diverge, where what Israel was supposed to be and called to be, and where Jesus ultimately fulfills and points us towards what faithfulness is. So Jesus, he enters into the wilderness, much like the Israelites enter into the wilderness after they have uh, escaped Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. They wander for 40 years because their hearts have wandered from God. And while they are tempted in many ways, Jesus is tempted in many similar ways over that 40 days, after the 40 days and 40 nights, of fasting and prayer and preparing his heart for this test. So then there's this question. We remember at the end of Jesus' baptism and he comes out of the water, there is a declaration from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. This incredible proclamation that, uh, that would have lifted the spirits of all who witnessed it. It would have lifted the spirits of Christ Jesus himself to have the affirmation that God from heaven has declared me his son and what confidence he would have. And the spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan, to be tested 
by the deceiver. And so deceiving he goes. And he says to him that if you really are, and he starts questioning, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are what heavens have declared, then I want for you to turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, uh, Jesus correctly rebukes him, and he, he draws from Deuteronomy. And each of these instances, Jesus is going to draw from the book of Deuteronomy. Why Deuteronomy? Because that's the book that at the end of the wilderness journey that the Israelites went on, that was the book, that, uh, the sermon that Moses preached to the Israelites. It was a lesson for them, a reminder that this testing was to see if they would trust in God. And so, so Jesus draws from the book of Deuteronomy. And he says to him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word from God. Every word from the mouth of God. That is Jesus' life. Jesus' life comes from the word of God. He knows that that's the truth. And so he doesn't put up with this sort of test. And he says, you know, I'm going to trust in God on this one. I know that my life doesn't come from me seeking my own satisfaction, but my life comes from God and God alone. And so then that... that trick didn't work that temptation didn't work and so he takes him and he and he uh, takes him to the temple and he says to him all right if you really are the son of god if, the, if you are who the heavens say you are if if this is true then what i want you to do is i want you to get on top of the temple we're and we're gonna swoosh up there i don't know how they do that it was probably a swooshing i mean that or an, it was the first escalator i don't know how that works and so so the temptation then becomes, will you jump off of this temple and the angels will come to your rescue? And Satan uses scripture. He says that you have every affirmation that, that the heavens will protect you, that the angels will come, that the messengers will come and they will rescue and save you. You have every sense of that. And Jesus says, we do not put the Lord our God to the test. We're not going to put God to the test on this one. And so Satan's temptation fails yet again. And then the third temptation is that he is, uh, they ascend a high point, and there's guesses as to which mountain it is and what they're overlooking, but we can just know that they ascend the high mountain, and they might be looking out, and they might see Jericho, or they might see Jerusalem, but there would have been enough of a view to be able to see the kingdoms of this world and the cities and nations and peoples, and Satan offers him all of it. He says, all this is yours if you will just worship me. And Jesus says to Satan, we worship God only. And that was their faith. That was the, the temptation over and over again throughout Israel's life was, will they worship this one true God or will they worship many gods? Will they worship what everyone else worships or will their heart be solely and completely given to God alone? And it's this question, I think, is where will our allegiances lie? And as I look at the temptations, as I look at the temptations before Jesus, I think it's a question of Jesus' allegiance to God and God only. Will Jesus trust in God for his provision? Will Jesus trust that God goes with him? Will Jesus worship God and God only? Will God get all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. When I talk about allegiance, when I say that we give our allegiances to God, what I mean by that is very simply, I, I believe that the greatest commandment is a declaration of our allegiances to Christ in his kingdom. That we would love God with 
all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think that's a declaration of our allegiance and our commitment to Christ. That we are giving Him all. That we love God with all that we are. And that's the temptation that's in front of Christ. Very simply and, and just kind of watered down to its basic question is, is will, God, will Jesus love God with all that He is? And to do that means that He will trust God in His daily provision. He will trust God and say, I know that God will provide my needs, that I live in Him, that I don't live by bread, but I live by His Word, and I can trust in Him. I can know that God will care for me, and I don't need to deviate from my life and mission that's before me. I don't need to worship Satan. I don't need to worship anything other than God only, because I know that my life is found in the true praise and glory of God, and God only. We can get sort of lost in these temptations and think maybe they aren't things that we wrestle with. But I guarantee that we do on a daily occasion wonder where our bread will come from and if we can trust in God. I had a fascinating little Sunday school this morning. I, I, had, a, I had from like fourth graders on up to, or third graders on up to uh, high school students. And I asked them to complain. And let me tell you, they're really good at complaining. I don't know if you've noticed, but children are really gifted at complaining. And I don't know if you ever looked in the mirror, but some of y'all are good at complaining too. They had lots of gripes. And we had a big, big, long list of gripes and complaints. And then I asked them another question. I asked them the question, how has God provided for you? And there was a series of moments of awkward silence. What if I did that test with you? Would you have a longer list of complaints or a longer list of God's provision and God's grace and God's mercy for you? What list do you think is in reality longer? What list have we convinced ourselves is true? And so friends, when I look at my life and I look at the temptations that we face, do we trust that God is providing, that God will care for us, that God goes with us? And that was the test in the wilderness for the Israelites. Will they trust God? Will they walk with Him? Will they know that God is with them? Will they trust and believe that God is present and God cares for them every step of the way? Or will they have to make their own bread? Will they have to find their own way? Will God go with them or not? Do you ever feel like God isn't going with you? Do you ever have those doubts where you wonder, does God hear what I'm going through? And then we go down this path where we complain, where we try to figure out, where we try to control, while we, while we try to sort everything out. And eventually, it's usually a two-by-four it feels like. like. Oh, God was there all along. God's caring for me. God's met my needs. And what I would ask of you, and what I think we need every day, is just those reminders that God is there, that God cares for you, that your life is found in every word from God. Do you believe that? Because to believe that is to give your allegiance and devotion to Christ and His kingdom. And so Jesus goes through this test. And from then on, after this test, Jesus starts preaching that the kingdom of God is available. 
that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And what I think Jesus is inviting us to see is that God's provision is for us every step of the way, that in the abundance of God's kingdom, in this new reality, there is hope for you, there is peace for you, there is healing for you, there is an abundance of life in the kingdom of God. And in the poverty of the world, there is plenty in the life that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And so his ministry from that time on is about meeting all of the physical and emotional and spiritual needs that come into his life one at a time. They break into his life and he shows them the abundance of blessing and comfort and peace of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and King. You have that reality, you have that understanding so that when we go into the world and we face the temptation of thinking that we can worship something other than God, where we can find our trust, our hope, our satisfaction, our completeness, and anything other than Jesus. When we face those temptations, we can know that Jesus is everything. Jesus is our life and our hope. When we face the temptation to think that we can provide for ourselves, we can know that in the kingdom of God, God has provided everything you need in the life that you long for. He provides the peace. He provides the comfort. That emptiness, the brokenness, the suffering, all of those things are met in the presence of God and the peace that he offers you through Christ. So Jesus, he goes on preaching this message of hope and salvation, this message that the kingdom is breaking in. And then he starts recruiting a team. And he works then, and that's where we'll hop into our text, Jesus then in 4.18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They were fishing one, one day, and Jesus says to them, Come, follow me. Jesus said, And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. I want you to underline verse 20. At once they left. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and underline this one too, and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Jesus comes with an invitation, an invitation for all of us to come and have life in his kingdom, to come and follow him. Every one of us has a relationship with God because Jesus calls us through his grace to have life in him. You can hop off the treadmill thinking that you're going to catch up to Jesus. Jesus has come to you and he says, my grace is for you, my love is for you, and I want you to come and follow me. Our allegiance, our devotion to him, our commitment to him, our life in him comes because Jesus has reached out to us to say, come and be a part of my family. Follow me. And so we all must respond to his grace and his love. We all must answer this question, will we follow him or not? So Jesus invites them to come and follow him. What do they do? They choose something better. They choose the very best. They leave something good. They leave the family business. They leave what they have done for their livelihoods. And they just drop their nets and they decide that today is the day that they're going to follow Jesus. 
that today's the day that they're going to commit to him and give their full allegiance and devotion. They're going to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and leave the nets behind. They would even have to leave family behind and they would say, God is our God, the Lord Jesus is our, our rabbi, the one that we're following, and we give our life to him. And they set it all back. And they say, we're going to follow this Jesus. They're going to respond to his invitation, invitation of grace and say, we will follow him. And from then on, Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to be fishing for people. There are going to be more people that will come. There are going to be more people who believe because of you and what I'm going to do through you. And so it becomes this invitation of grace to have a life of following God and a life of sharing God with others. That is your life when you respond to his grace. This Thursday and Friday, I had the privilege of being reminded of just how mighty and good and powerful God is. I am reminded of God's grace and his invitation to bring people into his life to be servants in his kingdom. This week uh, was a difficult week for people in our church family who knew Carmen Hefner growing up, who got married and became Carmen LaRue. Carmen, she grew up in our church family, and she went off to Cincinnati Bible College. There in Cincinnati, she met her husband, Scott LaRue. Scott, he, uh, in the funeral, I learned that Scott invited her out on two dates. Uh, the first date was to get to know her, and the second date was to take her to the symphony. This was all a strategic plan on his part. But he said, in the first date that we had, I asked her this one question, and he said, are you willing to be a missionary for Jesus? And she said, yes. She had a willingness to go, a willingness to lay down the nets and leave her family that she might go and be used by God. My heart was overfilled, <laughs> like overflowing with joy. Because one, I knew her, and I loved her. I didn't know her when she was a little kid, and many of you did. But this church sent her. And what it was amazing to me is the formative things that happened. And it was never explicitly stated, but it was just something that was so apparent to me as I've known Dick and his wife Janet for many years, and just knowing their hearts and their love. It was on display the hospitality at the lake. You could go right now out to Huffman Lake. I don't know if you'd want to swim in it right now. There's a little ice out there. About that thing. We could break through and we could go swimming. But nothing would mean more to you than, uh, nothing would mean more to Dick than for you to go out there and enjoy the lake because that's his heart. And Carmen saw that, and Jennifer saw that, and so she had a spirit of hospitality that God used in the middle of Russia to welcome people into her home and love them and show them the grace of God. She would travel the world in Japan and she would live in Russia and she ministered in Ireland and she would minister in Fort Wayne and she would open a home so that people would know more about the grace of God. If you know Jesus, it's also to share Jesus. If you said, I will follow him, it's also to walk with him and trust him and invite others to do the same. I was deeply moved because it reminded me of this call that we all have on our lives 
that us in this little town and this little place in the world can make a significant impact in the kingdom of God. And we were a part of that. We helped raise her and love her and encourage her and say, this is the way you should go. And, you know, I don't know how much credit we should give Dick. Most of it to Janet, probably. He can take that. He likes that joke. But it was also you as the Sunday school teachers. It was you praying for Carmen. It was you saying, we're going to support her financially. It's you saying, we are going to encourage her to go to Bible college and to learn and grow and give her life to Christ. It was you. And while that was 30-some years ago, and it may seem like a distant past, friends, we have to know and believe that, that our past isn't bigger than our future. That our memories aren't bigger and greater than the dreams that are in front of us. And what do we dream for our children? What do we dream for our kids to do for the glory of God and for his kingdom? What do we dream for ourselves? What is God doing in your heart right now and saying, uh, saying to yourselves, what is it that God is pressing upon your heart to say, to do, to go, to leave behind? Where is the Spirit working in your life to call you to be a participant in the kingdom of God today? Maybe it's in your workplace, maybe it's in your home, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's all of the above and more, but where is God pulling on your heart? To bless, love, encourage, and share the hope of Jesus Christ. The temptations are great. To not trust in God, to worship whatever it is that feels good and find our completion in. The temptations are great. But there are people who have responded despite the difficulty, despite the fear, despite all of the things that are in the way, who said, yes, I will follow and I will lay this down. I will follow, I will trust in God. There was a powerful moment in the message for Carmen in which there was this challenge. The most important part of any race, in any relay race, is the handing of the baton. And Carmen was handing the baton off to her children, but she was also handing it off to everyone who loved her and cared for her. Will you keep running the race? Will you keep telling people about the love of Jesus? Would you just tell someone that Jesus loves them and lay down his life for them? Would you just tell them of how good God is and his graciousness and kindness? Would you sit with someone who's hurting? Would you bless someone with a meal? Would you care for the people around you? Because of the abundance of life, the freedom and the hope and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ today. Would you take the baton from Carmen to be Christ's ambassadors in this world? Telling one more person, come and follow Jesus. Come and be with him. Come and have life and hope and mercy and love and grace, and faith, and peace, and kindness, and over all of these things, have love in Jesus Christ. Will you find life in him? Let's pray. God, thank you for the life and example that you have given us through Carmen, and the dignity of life, and grace, and mercy that you've shown her, Lord, to 
lead her life, walk with her and give her life and hope. Lord, for her family, we praise you for their love and their faith. We pray that you continue to comfort Dick and, and Jennifer and Jason and the boys and especially Scott and his children. Lord, that you would be with them and comfort them. And Lord, help us to minister to and love and surround them with love and care. Lord, we thank you for the examples of faithful people who have gone before us. And as we look behind us to receive the baton to continue the race, may we look to those in front of us who we can hand the baton to, to encourage in their faith. To encourage to go to a Bible college, give their lives to, to you through that endeavor, Lord, to encourage them in their faith and grow in their faith that they would be used as kingdom workers, servant leaders in the church and world. God, we pray for our Bible colleges. We pray for Great Lakes and for uh, Lincoln and for Ozark and Johnson and for many others, Lord. We lift them before you. We pray that many students would come, that they would be edified and lifted up. Lord, we pray for more servants and more workers in the field. Lord, we look around us and we know that the harvest is much. So we pray for workers in the, in the, in the field, Lord, that they would go and continue to preach and proclaim the good news of your kingdom. Lord, for each of us as we are workers in your kingdom, give us moments throughout the week to know that we can share the love of Christ and answer the call and follow you. Lord, for the temptations where we wonder sometimes where we'll get our bread and or will we trust in you, or in those moments in our life where we question, question our allegiance and our commitment to you. Lord, we pray for your grace for the times that we've fallen short, for your mercy for those days. And also you would encourage us and lift us up through your spirit that we would walk with you and trust you and know that you provide for us, that you are our life and our hope. So Lord, we pray for your help and your strength today that we would go from here to minister, to love, and to encourage and walk with you as a body of believers. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his forgiveness and love, the gift of life today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and respond.